well, as mad scientist and Luki Puki would say on New Year's Eve, y'all ready for DJ Cracker? I hate you. What's up, everybody? That was a joke one, but I can continue it if you want. No, Welcome to an almost bust-free version of Championship or Bust with Max, Zach, and Josh. Today, we have our first team in World Series history to not have a Hall of Fame player in the 1917 New York Giants. And they went up against the Chicago White Sox two years before the infamous Black Sox scandal. So a lot of uh, Hall of Famers lacking here that maybe should have been in, but we'll discuss that later. And I'm sure we're going to have a very calm and rational discussion regarding Brian Cashman. So without further ado, let's roll. Josh, go ahead. All right. Thank you, Mac. And I, I look forward to hearing your analysis later, DJ Krakow. <laughs> so the 1917 World Series... Chicago White Sox versus New York Giants. Both of these teams pretty comfortably won their leagues. The White Sox finished with a season, 100 wins, 54 losses. Their only 100-win season in franchise history. And the Giants would be making their first World Series appearance since losing three straight in 1911-12-13. Game one in Chicago, pretty quick 2-1 victory by the White Sox. Under two-hour game, deciding run being a home run, hit by Happy Felch. Game two had a bit more action and also resulted in a White Sox victory, this time a commanding 7-2 win behind a five-run fourth inning, capped by a shoeless Joe Jackson two-run single. Game three would end up shifting to New York, where the Giants would capture their first victory of the series behind Rube Benton's shutout on the mound. And he even worked around two errors in that game for a 2-1 win, a 2-0 win, sorry. Game four saw the home team, yet again, pick up a win. The Giants won this game 5 0, their second shutout in as many days. Center fielder Benny Koff would homer twice in this game, one of them in inside the parker. Game 5, back in Chicago, Giants jump out to an early two run lead in the first inning, and the White Sox would yank their starter, Reb Russell, after just three batters, all of whom ended up getting on base. But And then a three run third inning would put the Giants up 4 1, but the White Sox rally for three runs in the seventh and then three more runs in the eighth and win this game 8 5. Home team again, winning. Game 7 saw Red Favor take the mound for the White Sox for the fourth time in the series, and yet again throws another impressive game. But the damage done by the White Sox wasn't really because of their hitting, it was actually because of errors. Two errors in the fourth inning led to three runs by the White Sox. They had some timely hitting after it, but, you know, errors are going to kill you. The Giants ended up scratching across two runs in the fifth inning, but that's all they could get off of Faber, who finished the game and the series his third complete game victory of the series. Funny enough, Faber and the other starting pitcher, Eddie Sakat, nicknamed Knuckles, would throw 50 out of the 52 innings in this World Series. Jeez. Now, we can't talk about this World Series without mentioning Game 6, and a famous rundown where the Giants' third baseman, Zimmerman, would run down the speedy Eddie Collins towards home plate in what would end up being the World Series winning run. Now, the catcher had run up the third baseline to start this rundown and, as you would expect, be expecting the pitcher or the first baseman to go cover home plate as everybody is taught when they're <laughs> 10 years old. But neither guy moved. The base was totally open, and Zerman had no choice but to run down the baseline and try to catch him, later saying, what was I supposed to do? Throw it to the umpire? <laughs> and even though it was pretty much well-known that Collins was faster than Zimmerman. There were some photos out there of the play that showed Zimmerman really wasn't that far behind Collins. And then later pictures of Zimmerman jumping over Collins to avoid stepping on him. But he ended up having to go apologize to everybody and publicly deny that he allowed that run to score on purpose and threw the game. Right. Now, and this was two years before the White Sox would be in their own scandal, Black Sox scandal. So, yeah, that's kind of crazy. Yeah, I wish we had film of that because that's got to be one of the craziest plays to ever win a championship on. And the fact that there's only pictures, like, kind of sucks. Yeah, I mean, that is just, uh, I don't know, to, to, accuse, to me, to accuse a guy of, of throwing a game when the pitcher and the first baseman don't Didn't do their job, the yeah. Catcher. Nuts. Yeah, it's uh, a little, little much there that's, for me. Yeah, that's a little crazy. All right, so we're going to head into the Hall of Famers. We have umpires Bill Clem and Billy Evans. Again, no <laughs> ranking, sorry. Uh, beginning with the losing New York Giants, I said before, no Hall of Fame baseball players, but we do have the Hall of Fame manager John McGraw 
It is his sixth pennant, and he lost, so it is his right now he has one win out of six. Ouch. Um, we will be continuing to talk about him, so it won't look as sad um, in future episodes, but uh, for now he's at six pennants, and he's one in five, or one in four with the one World Series that was canceled. And the inaugural member of the Pro Football Hall of Fame and the first Native American to win gold for the U.S. in the Olympics. We talked about him in 1913. Uh, Jim Thorpe, he actually did play in this World Series. He had one at bat, went 0-for-1. Uh, this was his only World Series at bat um, and the second appearance in the World Series, depending on what you consider to be an appearance in the World Series. Moving on to the winning Chicago White Sox, <clears throat> we do have three Hall of Famers here. Um, we have a returner in Eddie Collins. It's his fourth ring and fifth appearance. Uh, he hit 409 with a 913 OPS, so he was killing it, 9 for 22. Uh, we got Red Faber, first appearance, making his World Series debut, so welcome to the pod, Red Faber. He went 254 and 213 in his career and won two ERA titles with a career ERA of 3.15 and an ERA plus of 119. Uh, definitely a low strikeout pitcher, but it was a low strikeout era. Uh, he had 1,471 strikeouts. He led the league in whip twice as well. In this series, he pitched in four games, went 3-1 and one with a 1.67 ERA, 9-3 strikeout to walk ratio, and finished his career with a 63.9 war. Um, in my view, he's definitely a deserving level one. I have him toward the bottom of level one. It's not really a shot at him. It's just comparing pitcher to pitcher. Uh, the stats are certainly Hall of Fame worthy in my view, um, but I have him toward the bottom end. I have him around guys like Early Wynn and Don Drysdale and Robin Roberts. Definitely guys who belong in the Hall of Fame. Um, so I won't go with my ranking there, but I'll say he's a level one guy. Another guy making his Hall of Fame debut or championship or bust debut who's in the Hall of Fame is Ray Schalk. Uh, he was elected by the Veterans Committee in 1955. One of the most ridiculed comical selections in Hall of Fame history. He's your stereotypical <laughs> basement guy. Um, he's the guy that everyone tends to cite whenever they're bringing up guys who don't belong in the hall of fame. He hit 253 on his career, 11 home runs, 1,345 hits. Those are his career numbers. And he is a catcher. So, you know, yes, that is some of the numbers that still are, are low, but as, you know, for catcher standards, it makes it a little bit better. But it's just the idea of like looking at his stats and then looking at Joe Maurer's stats and the fact that Joe Maurer is not going to be first ballot is just hysterical to me. Yeah. Uh, but in this series, he went to uh, he had two sixty three, five for nineteen, no extra base hits. Ray Shulk is known for his defense, kind of like a Rabbit Moranville. But to me, he's definitely a basement guy. Just just doesn't have enough numbers that like not even close to me. But. You know, no matter, I don't think any defense can really make up for only having 1,300 hits. Yeah. But funny, though, you know, and as Josh mentioned, um, in modern baseball fashion, the best player in this World Series is not in the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, no matter how many records you have, it doesn't matter. It's all about how good of a guy you are. And Shoeless Joe Jackson, he played for Philly, Cleveland, and Chicago. Believe it or not, he actually finished top 10 in MVP voting for four straight years in Cleveland. Wow. Which is funny considering how he's remembered now. But um, he led the league in hits a couple different times and finished with 1,772 hits. Remember, his career obviously got cut short. And he hit 356 on his career. Jeez. Which is crazy to think about, but when you put it in historical context, he's fourth all time. So even though it was a higher average error than we have now, he's still fourth all time. Um, third in Major League history. Um, but now that since the advancements in Negro League statistics have been um, able to help compare players from both leagues, Oscar Charleston actually jumped him. Uh, so it's Ty Cobb 1, Oscar Charleston 2, Rogers Hornsby 3, and Joe Jackson 4. So he's still up there, and that's never going to be broken. Oh, yeah. Ever. He, he will forever be fourth all time. Um, he also has an OPS of 917 on his career and an OPS plus of 170. Jesus. Not quite Babe Ruth's OPS plus, but insane. Uh, but it's hard to rank him because of 1,332 career games. So we all obviously know what happened two years after this World Series, so I'll save the debates there. We'll talk about it at length in two episodes from now. But I did want to take this time to kind of throw it out there 
uh, would Zach and would Josh put Shula Show Jackson in the Hall of Fame? And I'm going to pass it on to Zach first. I'll save my opinion for the end and where I rank him and everything. But Zach, go ahead. Uh, pretty clean and simple yes for me. Um, again, his 356 batting average is nuts. Uh, and it, you can't really account for the career numbers too much because of the, the short career, like you said. You already laid it out for me. It's a pretty pretty easy yes. Josh? Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a case where the magic numbers don't really, don't really matter because he was just that good for – even though he had a short career, yeah, I would I would still put him in. He was just that, he was just that good, and especially that you know that that stretch, you know, like you said, where he had the 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 top finishes and MVP voting. I mean, he 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 was one of the best players in baseball at that time. I'm stunned that you said yes. Yeah, I was thinking Josh was going to give a no <laughs> because I know how you're against the performance enhancing drugs. So, in that respect, I'm just asking: Are you for Pete Rose's induction? Absolutely. Oh, nice. wow. So it's just PD. I, mean, I completely agree with you. Yeah. But I'm just surprised that you would take that stance. Yeah. Same. Considering the whole, you know, cheaters and dishonesty and character flaws thing that you value. I'm I'm taking it back, I have to say. I, I don't know how to As am I. I thought we were going to have a little debate here. But we are <laughs> technically, you know, we are eventually going to do our Hall of Fame episode, so I'll throw out a little teaser there. We are going to make our own ballots and <laughs> – you know, three votes would get you into the championship or bust hole of fame. <laughs> so in that case, because, you know, if they get zero votes, they're under 5%. If they get three votes, they're at 100%. If they only have two votes, they're only at 66%. So technically, are we calling Joe Jackson our first member of the championship or bust hole of fame right now? Sure. Welcome to the championship or bust hole of fame, Joe Jackson. We are going to get a plaque made for you through Photoshop and we will go back to you. Congratulations. We have breaking news here at championship or bust. <laughs> Joe Jackson, Hall of Famer. And I guess I gave away my response, but would Mac put him in the Hall of Fame? Yes, I absolutely would. He is in level two. Um, I probably could have had him higher. It's just the small sample size makes it really hard to compare. Uh, but I have him right around some – I have him at number 11 right field ever uh, between Vladimir Guerrero and Al Kaline. I'm on and off about if he should be above Al Kaline or not, but I think – you know, just how big his peak was matters so much in this discussion. And just trying to account for the idea that, you know, Joe Jackson became kind of a sympathetic figure in the whole um, Black Sox scandal, which I'm sure we'll discuss yeah. um, in 1919. So I, I don't want to go too far into it here, but it is a good segue for another person who was banned from the Black Sox scandal. And another person who I want to mention is Eddie Seacott, who Josh mentioned earlier. He is someone who had a real shot at Cooperstown if he didn't get banned. I don't think his career measures up, but I think he's a guy kind of like a Smokey Joe Wood that could have been there. Um, he also is the has the distinction of being the only one of the eight banned who was allowed to play in 1920. And the reason why was he signed a waiver of immunity, kind of like the Astros did. Mm. Then he recanted this waiver. <laughs> When he went to trial, I guess it was you know when he got charged by the jury, he got acquitted of all charges, but then like the other seven, Landis banned him anyway, despite the acquittal. So, wow. you know, Seacott, as a career, he reached over 15 wins once prior to the 1916 season. So he was about 32 at this point. Here are the win totals over his final four years. 28, 12, 29, and 21. That's 90 wins in four years. He was then banned after 1920 at the age of 36, and he finished with 209 wins, which at that time was not enough. In this era, it'd be a little different. But he did win an ERA title in 1917. He had a 1.53 ERA that year, finished his career with an ERA of 2.38 and a 59 war. So let's just say, I know he's not getting 90 wins in four years again in those from 37 to 40, but let's say he even picks up two war a season. You're looking at a guy with 67 war who might have gotten over, and let's say he wins 10 games a year, which is less than the last four years prior. He would have 250 wins with a 67 war. He would have been right there. And he also, 
another story about him that I'm kind of ad-libbing, but I remember the story. He actually had a contract clause that if he got 30 wins, he would have gotten a raise. But Charles Comiskey sat him when he could have gone for 30. So this disgruntled him a little bit for obvious reasons. And that's actually part of his motivation to take the money in 1919 because of that whole in, uh, incident. So he still somehow <clears throat> establishes his place in the hall of what ifs. I, like I said, I don't have him quite in my hall, but really things could have gone very differently. And I think there is a Hall of Fame case here with what we're given. If they were to ever reinstate the, the Black Sox, I think that he would have backing for the Hall of Fame for sure. It's a crazy story there. About I, would, uh, I would like to say uh, on that behalf, uh, no. <laughs> I, I, do not, I do not agree. I don't think he really has a case at all. Uh, I think he was a good pitcher. He wasn't a great pitcher. Yes, he won the one ERA title in 1917. Um, and I think a lot of the wins benefit benefited from a really good White Sox team uh, later in his career. Uh, you're also making the assumption that he was 36 in 1920, that if he threw a few more years at an older age that he'd win more games. I, I just, I'm not I don't saying know. he'd win 90 games in four years. I'm saying he'd win 10 a year going really conservative. Cause it's, you know, the 1910s. Lower than the others. Yeah. He would hit 250 wins. And like, it's not just like he had the one good year where he led league in ERA. He finished third in ERA. He finished second in ERA three times. And he finished fifth in those times. So he finished top five in ERA in the AL five different years, including in 1919, he finished second. So it wasn't necessarily just because of run support. He was he had a 1.82 ERA in 1919, which was sure. second. Uh, I, I just Still I don't know. Twenty fourth all time in ERA. He was he was very mediocre in his first ten years in the league. I agree with that, but so were several others. Adrian Beltre, I don't think made an All Star team until he was thirty, mm-hmm. and we'll be talking about him in the next episode quite a bit when we do our Hall of Fame stuff. <laughs> But technically speaking, like Adrian Beltre was not really on a Hall of Fame path until the last three years of his career when he hit 3,000. He wasn't on anybody's radar there. He has a 93 war. He made his first All-Star game at 31 years old. So sometimes late bloomers hit. And I, like I said, I don't think he would be a strong case. That's why I don't have him in my pyramid. I'm just saying I think people would consider it with what he has right now. Definitely something to think about, yeah. And I think there were other pitchers in that era, like not off the top of my head, but I think there are other pitchers in that era who have similar statistics that did get in. Whether or not they deserve it is something we'll channel in another time when we have another World Series. But I think that there is a case, not a great case, but a case. And that wraps up our Hall of Famers. So, Zach, I will let you turn it to... The moment Josh has been waiting weeks for. All right, let's go with DJ Kraken. Let's set this up. All right, so the GM meetings were this past week, and Brian Cashman decided that um, the best defense of a miserable Yankees season was a was a good offense to the media and the fans, and Sherman's been um, asking us to do this for about two weeks now. So go ahead, Josh. I'm just going to give you the floor. You go first. Say whatever you want to say. I mean, it is just mind-blowing. Oh, yeah. That a team that did not make the playoffs barely, barely, barely finished above 500. And the GM is standing in front of the media and saying, no, I think we're pretty effing good. Yeah. And a just explicit. Out the wazoo. <laughs> just dropping F-bombs left and right, yeah. telling, telling these people in the media that the team is still fine. And, and, you know, they don't... We're all stupid, right? That, that everybody else is stupid, and yeah. their analytics department is great, and, and all this stuff. And then following his statements by saying, there's nothing wrong with the team's trainers, and, and uh, you know, the guy's meant to keep guys on the field. Uh, it's Stan. Stan's the problem. We always prepare for him to get hurt, because that's just what he does. He just gets hurt. Doesn't it? It must be so great to be so deep head in the book of numbers 
<laughs> where you have no idea of any sort of personal accountability whatsoever because uh, yeah, if you're yeah. right if you're if your numbers are right you look like a genius if you're wrong you can blame the numbers and then do the same thing yep. every year and somehow Hal Steinbrenner will give you a raise. <laughs> yeah. Well, Absolutely. Steinbrenner came to Cashman's defense. He immediately, immediately the next day came right to Cashman's defense and said, you know, I don't agree with him dropping f bombs out there, yeah. but everything he said is true. You know, we have a great analytics department, and everybody thinks that we seem to everything we do is is based on analytics, and Boone doesn't make any decisions. That's just not true. Well, I hate to break it to you, Steinbrenner, but it's it's very true, and everybody sees right through right through your your lies. Yeah, everybody uh, sees through it. Can I just say one thing though, slightly defending Cashman? You may, but I will stuff. flame your yeah, ass. Yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna I have not here. Here's my, here's the thing. I wish it wasn't with my team, and I wish it wasn't involving my team that this all happened. However, as fans, even in the media, we demand these sports figures, whether they're players, whether they're executives, whether they're coaches, we demand that they're honest, we demand that they're authentic, and then we complain when they actually go candid and tell the truth. Cashman was not wrong in the slightest about what he said about Stanton. He's saying what every fan is thinking. Should he sure. have probably said it? No, I'm not saying that. But I honestly, and there's a lot of things we can flame Cashman for. I don't like flaming Cashman over what he said. I, Cashman is straight up. In this yeah, world. but he just disserviced his own player. Like, I understand what you're saying. That's but... fine. Play better. Yeah. There's, there's ways there's ways to answer the question and be honest and not just be devaluing your own player. I mean, you know, the thing is that you can't go in front of the media after having a terrible season and saying we're pretty good. Nope. Those words should never ever come out of your mouth. That I agree with. Whether you, you believe that, whether you believe that or not, I'm yeah. only talking about sitting here. And it, well, see, the thing is, is that the question was phrased to him about players getting hurt and then Stanton. The answer to that question is. No, there's nothing wrong with our staff. Players get hurt. It's part of the game. That's the end of the question. There's no, there's no lie there. There's no, there's no, there's nothing to be hiding from. There's no fact. But instead, he decided to go say, "Yeah, Stanton gets hurt. That's part of his game." That is not how you answer that question. I don't, I don't care. You cannot answer a question like that. I am surprised by the fact that any player, a black thing in his whole uh, career as a GM, it's one of his worst moves that he's made. Oh yeah. But again, he's being candid about it. He's being honest about it. I respect that more than I. Like I said, I can't stand the idea of him saying that we're good. We're not. The front office is not good. He has to CYA on that one. I get it. But he was honest about Stanton, and he knows that Stanton's value can't possibly go any lower than it already has. So I think. So then, what's the motive? Are you are you trying to get him to waive his trade clause? Like. Cashman could say whatever he wants, and Stanton's value cannot possibly go lower than it already is, considering the contract, his injuries, and his batting average. So there's no difference whatsoever. What he's hoping I don't for, know if in I my opinion, that. is a Hail Mary attempt that Stanton says, I'll waive my no-trade clause. I was just about to say go. that. Yeah, I was going to bring I that up. This is very calculated. But who's going who's gonna to want to trade for him now that his GM went out and said, yeah, the guy gets hurt, that's just what happens. We'll give him to you and we'll pay his salary, which is what he wants. But the only problem right now is that Stanton won't waive it probably. So he, he's playing mind games. And is, and is uh, Cheapy Boy Steinbrenner actually going to pay his salary? I don't think he will. I would not be surprised. He did it for A-Rod. He did it for Teixeira. Yeah. I, I, I think that's part of the game. I don't know. I think Mr. Steinbrenner's uh, in on Bucket it. Seems, seems worried more about money than anything else in the last 10 years. So I'm not sure about that anymore. Like I said, I, I'm – I'm sure I'm probably giving him too much credit, but I I have found a rationalization for that quote. I have found no rationalization for oh we're good right now. We're not. We're not. Good. I think you're grasping at straws on this one. And you need to go. However, I think if you are going to stay, the move is to get rid of Stanton at all costs. Only problem is you need Stanton to agree on that. So you're trying to make him as yeah. uncomfortable as possible. I think that is exactly what's going on in Cashman's head. I don't believe in the people saying he's trying to get fired. I think he's trying to get Stanton the one out, and then he'll pay you know, a portion of it. Some stupid team will take it on in the hopes that there's a turnaround. And honestly, there probably will be a turnaround because we're New York and because we run everyone into the ground, as Cashman, quite frankly, just did. So let me ask you a question. 
Yeah. If that is the end goal in Cashman's mind, to make Stan uncomfortable and want to waive his no trade to go to another team, is that worth, in your mind, making your team look like a bunch of jackasses in front of the media, <laughs> as well, as yeah. well, as likely ruining your chance at one of the biggest free agents yep. in Japan in baseball history, other than Otani and Ichiro, because they share because this guy shares the same, the same agent, agent as Stanton, is, yeah, who exactly. was clearly right. upset based upon the remarks that he said in, in response to Cashman. Okay. Is is what Cashman said worth it? Do we remember what the Yankees are bound are you know built themselves upon? George Steinbrenner had camera crews following Dave Winfield to try to get dirt on him. George Steinbrenner got banned from baseball for two seasons. George Steinbrenner would scream at the media every chance he got. He fired Billy Martin about 25 times and yeah. hired him again. Did he ever care about looking bad for the media? It's a new age, ever? though. The new age. It's a new age. It's a new age. You can't do that anymore. Yeah, that's anymore. when we won. I understand that. That was when we won. Who cares how we look in front of the media? You can't devalue a player like that in today's game. It's just not going to go well. It's a mind game, and if he goes, and honestly, I don't think it devalues the free. I don't think I don't think it devalues getting um, the pitcher because the money's going to win out, and that agent will shut his mouth when he hears that the Yankees, if they want him, and I don't really think they really want him either, but I think that as soon as he hears, oh wait, I can get an extra ten million dollar bonus if I if he signs with the Yankees, okay, yeah, go go sign with the Yankees, go ahead, you'll be miserable, but I'll make my money. They're not going to care. Agency dollar signs. Oh, man. They're not going to care. Yeah. You know, they, though? It, it's a story that'll pass in a week. It's just definitely a possibility. Yankees aren't going to do anything. We were never going for – I'm sorry. What's his name again? Yamamoto. We're, we were never going for him to begin with. So it's not like we're spoiling our chances. We're going to end up with Brandon Woodruff, whether you like it or not. We're going to end up with Cody Bellinger, whether we like it or not. And that is what we have. Brandon Woodruff, who's not even playing next season. Yes. That, that, that's, that that's screams we'll Cashman get. pickup all that's over. That's we'll get. We'll get Frankie Montas <laughs> and Brandon Woodruff. And we'll be the world champions oh in 2029. <laughs> that's yeah. what's going to happen. We were never going for him. You mean, you mean 30-29. Right. Yeah. But we were never going for him. Like I said, there's a lot of things that I will, you know, trash Brian Cashman for. This one more, is not one more thing. He his he's quoted as saying they have the smallest analytics department in the in the division. That's not a good thing, right? Is if you got guys like the Rays and the Orioles who don't spend big on payroll but have all these great prospects or are making great trades, I'm assuming they have a bigger analytics department than you. So I don't know why he thought that was a good thing to say. Well, if you look at the, the last three world champions, Dusty Baker. Brian Snicker, Bruce Bochy. I messed up the order, but those are the three. None of them really rely on analytics. They're baseball men who have been around the game, and they win titles off it. The analytics game is I, – I think we can have a whole debate on analytics from now till forever. You know, Moneyball's great. You know, it helps the small market teams compete. It helps the Tampa Bay Rays compete. It, it helped the athletics compete, which I'm sure we'll hit later. Mm. But – I think Moneyball, to an extent, does go out the window when you have a higher payroll. You know how can it not? Because eventually, you see dollar signs, and you you have owners in your ear saying, "Look, I'm not paying this random guy who's who has an eight war but isn't putting fans in the seats." So see, the thing is that I I don't I don't know if I agree because the the problem with the Yankees is not is not the size of the analytics department. It, the problem is that they're looking at the wrong things. That they're they're focusing too much on analytics that just not that they don't matter but they're not they're not important we got to focus on bunting josh we got no, 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 go no, no, to no, no 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 that, no that's not it that's not it that's not it. It, it it's that you know i mean we talked about it previously about how that you know there were reports that guys in the system were saying that the only thing the yankees cared about was exit velocity yeah. oh it's the only thing that they focused on they didn't care what the result was they only cared about exit velocity and they're teaching everybody exit velocity even guys that are Singles hitters who should not be giving a crap about exit velocity. They they should be focusing on contact placement, bunting, stealing, shit like that. Yeah. But no, they're teaching everybody exit velocity. It says was one. It's everybody is fitting on this cookie cutter mold. And they all have to do the exact same thing. That is not baseball. That is not how it works. That's the problem with the Yankees analytics department. 
and they put it on every single player. Anthony Volpe should be hitting 40 home runs a year. No! No, he shouldn't! Yep, 100%. He's a defensive shortstop who is a contact hitter who has some power, but he's a contact hitter with speed. You should not be sitting there focusing on exit velocity. But then again, the last hitting coach they had couldn't figure out that he changed his stance, and that's why he couldn't hit anyone. <laughs> yeah, unbelievable. So yeah, their analyst department is doing great. And the training department's doing great, too. They had no idea Rizzo had a concussion for six for, months. For, yeah, three months yeah. of the season. Like, come on, man. But don't worry. The Yankees' front office is effing good, according to Brian yeah, Cash. they're good, all right. That part I can't excuse. I give you that. Yeah, There's no self-awareness there. None. So, like I said, I might be giving too much credit, but I really do think it's a mind game to try to get him to go. I think you give Cashman too much credit. Maybe I, don't I think do. he's that smart. Maybe I do, and I wish he wasn't here, but since he is here, I kind of have to try to rationalize it as best I can. The only thing we'll be rationalizing is why the Yankees decided to get an aging third baseman that can only play defense and can't hit in that Chapman. It's the only thing we're going to be trying to <laughs> rationalize in a few months. Oh, boy. Can't wait. By the time that we put this out, it's either going to be true or not. That's the funny part. Like, we'll probably know. I can tell you right now, they're, they're, they're going to sit there and twiddle their thumbs on the pitchers they desperately need and end up with some you know third starter that kind of sucks, or they're going to overpay somebody that they don't need like Jordan Montgomery. And I like Montgomery, don't get me wrong, but they're yeah. going to spend way too much money on him to, for him to be a third starter because that's what he is. Let's be real. Honestly, though, I would kind of like to see Brian Cashman overpay Jordan Montgomery as punishment for trading him in the first place. Exactly. That's true. I still stand that that trade was terrible, even though, even though yeah, everyone was like, oh, this is right. great. We don't need Montgomery really anymore, and we got we got Hader and Bader, whatever his name was. No, I agree. Wouldn't terrible that be kind of nice, like, even though we're Yankee fans, just to see like Brian Cashman have to eat his words by giving him like a, a nine-figure contract? You know... One thing I did think about, though, whenever, like, the Yankees are down or, like, lose, like, Cashman's fallback is always to buy pitching. He bought CC in 2009 when it got out Tanaka. He got Rodon, didn't work, got Cole. So Why didn't CC worked out? Every, yeah, everyone else. Uh, I mean, Tanaka was great, too, but I'm just saying he, he seems to fall back on pitching when things, like, after a down year. So I am hoping that at least he goes after Yamamoto, and there is interest in Nola, so maybe that's something they can pick up, too. They got to get somebody. They ha- they have yeah. to get another bona fide, maybe not an ace, a but a really strong number two. It's got to either be Yamamoto. It's got to be Nola. Yeah. They got to they got to put their money in on Snell. It's got to be somebody. They got to go and get somebody because you cannot rely on another season of Garrett Cole. And yes, he's through a fantastic season this year. God knows what he's going to do next year. I, he's going to be good, but we don't know how good. But then there's just nothing after. No, Rodon, yeah, Rodon clearly cannot it. handle New York. You have Cortez, who is a wild card of all wild cards. You can either throw a great season, throw a bad season, or just be hurt all season. Yeah. Then they have – I don't even know what they have after that, to be quite honest with you, because Montas is gone. Severino is gone. Clark Schmidt should be blasting into the sun. Clark Schmidt, baby. Be blasted into the sun. Michael King, baby. There was rumors they could turn Michael King. Michael King King should not be a starter. (laughs) They should leave him as a long reliever. That is what he's good at. Playing with fire on that one. Yeah. But hey, let's find Blake Snell. We'll have two Hall of Famers on our rotation. Oh, here we go. <laughs> Cy Young, I told you. Uh-huh. Listen to me. Cy Young, two times, two ERA titles. The only person who's done that is Santana. Oh, Santana. Oh, he's, he's in the hall, really nice right? Hall of Fame yeah, black. I was going to say, he's looking good in the hall. <laughs> he's going to get in, too, eventually. Okay. That's the time. They're the only two non-Hall of Famers who aren't in. And who knows? Blake Snell could win a third. He could. He could, maybe, with the Yankees. Yeah. <laughs> the third. That'd right. be great. Don't worry. The Yankees are going to go. They're going to go out, and they're going to overpay Bellinger, and they're going to suck. But then again, you know what? I'll be quite honest with you. I'm okay with him overpaying Bellinger. I'm not. For a couple, for a couple of reasons. No, the short for a couple of reasons. For a couple of reasons. The, the short a, a, he's a lefty. Yeah. And we have no lefties. Yes. B, he's a center fielder, and we have no center fielder. Yeah, um, I agree with you. Josh learned nothing from Joey Gallo. <laughs> see, see, the thing is that Joey Gallo sucks. Joey Gallo was never a former MVP also. like Okay, there, fine. He won prior... MVP four years ago. Since then, he's hit 239, 165, 210, and then magically starts hitting 307 in a contract year. I want no part of this. Are you guys kidding me? No, I agree with Josh. The short right push can help him out. And we need a center fielder until Dominguez gets back. 
was home run count after his MVP season, 12, 10, 19, and then 26 in a contract year. He can also play Yahoo. first base. Whoopee. Yeah, I mean, no, I don't I don't disagree. I mean, I don't disagree that it's not not the best. It's yeah. not a smart move. No part no. Of it. And I wouldn't condone it if the Yankees weren't as trash as they are it's and an in okay need of a move. center fielder. Yeah. But what else are you going to do? If nothing. I I'd rather them I'd rather them do something do something about, like that than do I'd rather have the Bellinger. In in the outfield right now? Not in the outfield, no. Uh, but, okay, I was going to say. Well, that's the problem. Yeah. You got no unless, unless you're going to go make a trade for a center fielder oh, no. and not oh. Harrison Bader, you need a center fielder, and he is a center fielder. And we're not putting Judge in center field. No. Who are we giving up for Soto? I know there's a lot of rumors. I don't even know how many prospects we have to give up to him to get him. <laughs> well, I don't got too many think prospects. much just because Padres are broke. Oh, yeah, that is. They're going to they're gonna end up giving up some minor leaguers you've never heard of before. And then probably that switch pitcher. That's probably going to be pretty good. Probably, probably <laughs> some pitcher. Probably some pitchers that we've also never heard of that are you know supposedly pretty good. You know, like a Justice Sheffield. Remember that guy? Yeah, yeah he was our number one I pitcher prospect. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And then and we were all like, oh my god, we traded that guy away for James Paxton, and that guy's barely in the league now. Yeah. Anyway, they're gonna trade. They're gonna give away some pitchers we've never heard of, and then they're probably gonna have to part with one of the one of the prospects that played last year. My assumption. Would be Peraza. Yeah, he's the worst because he is the most expendable. Yeah, exactly. Right now, yeah. you need Wells. You need Dominguez to see how at least they grow. You can't you need Wells and never train Dominguez. I, I wouldn't no. even put his name on the table. No, I mean, would they part with Florial? Maybe if they can get a center fielder. Yes, if not Florial being a starting center fielder is almost scarier than Bellinger. Any last things on Cashman Yankees talk before we move into a little bit of sad news? Think we're that, that's all I got. I think I've ranted enough. Okay. So I'm sure we all know after 56 seasons, uh, the A's are finally, not finally, but they are moving away from Oakland. MLB owners approved 30 to 0, which I honestly am stunned about. I don't know oh, how that dude. works. I, I don't know how, at least San Francisco didn't even vote no on the move. I thought they like students, they had a, they had like a game. You know, they had a reverse boycott at, obviously, the Coliseum. They have one at AT&T Park, too, when the A's played because it's obviously really close. And the Giants put up this whole thing on their video board, how they support, you know, the A's at Oakland, and they don't want them to get uprooted. And then your owner is going to vote yes to for the move. Just just sad. I know baseball's a business and all that. But it's just really, really sad news to hear. And I feel sorry for all the Oakland fans out there. Yeah, it's something you never like to see. I mean, I, I feel bad for them. It, it's just... It's hard because looking at the attendance, even when they were good, it just wasn't there. And I I get it. I think the owner is horrible. I feel awful for the dedicated fans who are there. Yeah. But I can't remember ever looking at the Coliseum and never seeing it really being filled up. The playoff games, but that's about it. Like, even in 2018, they made the playoffs – they were fifth lowest in attendance. Yeah. Like that, it was Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Tampa Bay, and Miami. Yeah. It, it's, it's hard. It's just a sad, it's very sad to see. Yeah, I, I never like seeing teams move just because like, it, it just feels weird. Like, like looking at the LA Chargers. Yeah. It doesn't feel right. I mean, I'm sure for people who saw the original LA Rams, it probably feels weird to see the St. Just to have seen the St. Louis Rams and now they're back in LA. Mm-hmm. You know, the Las Vegas Raiders still feels weird to me. I'd much rather see expansion, but then owners don't get their cut. Yep. So they probably prefer seeing the team move over that, but expansion actually does cut a check for the owners. So I don't, I don't know. It'll be better. Just sad situation all around. Yeah, I feel I feel bad for Oakland here, but uh, I think you know, <clears throat> I think the hope is that if they move to Vegas, they will draw a larger crowd, sell more tickets, get more money, and you know, hopefully at some point the owner will just fuck off and sell the team. Yeah, because um, that's really what the team needs. Because somebody you ha- you cannot have you cannot have that kind of money owning a professional sports franchise and then just not spend any money whatsoever yeah. on the team and then sit there and cry about it. You know, when, when the media comes to your face and then you know, blame it on the years, fans, man, you and can't then blame, blame the fans. It on the fans. You can't. 
can't do well, that. Well, no one's gonna show up when your team is that bad for that long. Yep. And be, and it's all and it's solely because you do not spend money on the team. I don't know. I mean, you can point. I mean, God. I mean, you can point to the Rays as a team that doesn't spend money, but hey, at least they're good. Right. So they have a big. Oakland, Oakland doesn't spend even money on analytics or anything. <laughs> not even it's the Coliseum. It's the arena's terrible too. I remember seeing those videos earlier in the year where they were, where a guy walked through the Coliseum and was, you know, looking at people the jerseys they were wearing, and I think he walked through the whole, the whole stadium, and for an hour I think he saw like two jerseys of guys that were currently on the team. Yeah, it's a revolving door over there. They got no, no face of the franchise or anything. So, that's on the owner. Oh yeah, solely on the owner. That I agree with. There's not even going to be a stadium in Vegas until 2028 or 2029, I believe. So they're going to be playing in the AAA ballpark. We'll see if they can fill right. that up. Well, that's a slap in the face, really, yeah. is that is that the, the park's not going to be ready. So now they're trying to cut a deal in Oakland so that the team can continue to play there. Yeah. If, if I was at that point, I would never I, – I, I would – as the fans, I would boycott every single game. Oh, yeah. Every oh, single yeah. game. Do not spend a single cent on this team. Let the guy lose – Lose as much money as possible for the next three years. Yep. Other sad news. Um, we touched on it earlier. The Padres owner died recently, uh, like young too, like 63, I believe, with cancer. Um, and the report came out that the past two years, the reasons they've been spending so much money was because this guy wanted to give his city a championship before he was dying because he had terminal cancer. And obviously that didn't work out. And now the Padres are in debt. They took out a $50 million loan, I believe, to pay for payroll, which is just nuts. But yeah, rest in peace, Peter Seidler. Uh, just a shame that this had to happen, and now the Padres are going to suffer for it, too. I, I just don't know wh- where they go from here. Are they going to? Sh- they're going to have to shed some of it this year, but I don't know if they're going to try to compete or they're just going to complete tear it down in a few years. I, I mean, if, so- if the Soto rumors are true and the Snell rumors are true, uh, you're already halfway there. Yeah, it's Manny and Bogarts, right? And Tatis, I guess. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I wouldn't... I, I'd i rather just, you know, focus on that sad, untimely death. That That's just awful. Yeah. And I very admirable that he was trying to go for it to try to get that championship as he was going. It makes me think about 09 with Steinbrenner, too. Yeah. Where that offseason, the Yankees didn't make the playoffs, and they signed Teixeira, they signed Sabathia, they signed Burnett, they signed Swisher. They end up winning, and then he passes away soon after. So I wonder if that was kind of the same cloth. Definitely. And the Padres seemed like they had a team that was built to win this year, obviously. A couple of us picked them. I think I picked them to win the World Series. I think I had them in the World Series, yeah. I think I had them in the yeah. – I, I had them com- pretty close, if not in. Well, we know you had Texas winning, so. No, I had Texas as a kid. I, I had Texas as a sleeper. All of them, yeah. I didn't expect they go this far, but I am very <laughs> proud of that pick. Every once in a while, I pull it off. All right, so we got to talk about awards. So, Madra of the Year, we have Hyde in Baltimore and Schumacher in Miami. I think they're no-brainers. Yeah. Any thoughts there? No, well-deserved for sure, but nothing crazy. I agree. Yeah, I don't think anything there. Honestly, this is a very easy award season because the other three main awards, five of them, I believe, were unanimous. Yeah. And one was 28 first-place votes. So, I mean, Corbin Carroll, Gunnar Henderson, there's nothing really controversial here. I was happy to see Kode Singa finish second in Rookie of the Year, though. Yeah, he had a very underrated, very good he year. He did. He pitched very well. And Ellie De La Cruz finished like eighth. Well, he fell off after those that month. He that really was did. <laughs> yeah, let's not talk about when I thought he'd be an all-star. Let's. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah when you argued with me over that one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's okay. I'm, I, I, I can admit when I'm wrong, too. It's okay. I own it. Oh, Cashman can't, though. Sorry. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, no, no, he can't. <laughs> NL Cy Young. Blake Snell first, Logan Webb second, Zach Allen third, Spencer Strider fourth, Justin Steele fifth. Justin Steele got screwed here. He was second of the five at ERA. Spencer Strider had a 3.86, and somehow Brave fans have rationalized it into, oh, yeah, it's because of X, Y, and Z. No, it's not. He just had a worse second half. First half, he was insane. Yeah, but that should matter in the Cy Young voting, I feel like. You're right. It does. 
you know, Zach Wheeler finished sixth behind Steele, but he uh, gave up .55 higher ERA. Yeah. Kodai Senga had the second lowest ERA of this list. Wow. But he only went 12-7, and seven, and he started a couple less games. But still, Mets, and Corbin baby. Burns was after him. I mean, it was. I think this list is about right. Other than I think Schreider was a little high. I think Steele should have been a little higher. Uh, happy for Senga to have him getting Siam votes already because you know he is thirty, so the career numbers are going to be low. These guys going to have to be a late bloomer to really make a mark. But happy to see that he was able to get immediate votes to start his career off. And then AL, Garrett Cole. King Cole, King, very old soul, wasting unanimous. his prime, absolutely wasting his prime. We should be disgusted. It's sad. It's honestly like I feel like Yankee. Is this the least talked about award in New York history? Oh yeah. Also, I don't know if you guys remember this. I think it's um he broke the record for like strikeouts in a year by a Yankee, right? And yeah, no one, no one talked about it. Also, like Ron, he passed Ron Guidry, and I don't think anyone said anything about it. Led the league in ERA by a considerable margin. And led the league in war for pitchers by a considerable margin. 15 and 4, 2.63 ERA, and nothing to show for it. Not even a playoff appearance. Should be ashamed. I mean, he definitely led the league in the uh, playoff ERA with zero. (laughs) That's always good. Second place is another guy we're familiar with, Sonny Gray. Well, that's called the cold sore of the New York Yankees. Can't handle New York. Yeah, 8-8 eight and eight with a 2.79 ERA gets you second place in Cy Young voting, apparently. He's a free agent, too. No. Don't, <laughs> don't, even, don't even say that. Oh, Cash I know. He's a proven can't-handle New York guy. So. Don't, don't, let him, don't let him hear us. Kevin Galsman, third. I'm happy for him. He's, he's always so slept on during every season. I wanted him so bad when he was a free agent. Mm-hmm. So bad. He's so underrated. slept on. So bad. Kyle Bradish, fourth. Luis Castillo, fifth. Zach Eflin, 6th, Pablo Lopez, 7th, George Kirby, 8th, Framber Valdez, nine. He fell off in the second half. Yeah, he really did. Wow. Chris Bassett, 10. Felix Bautista, 11, and Chris Martin, 12. So those are the guys who got Cy Young votes there. Uh, moving on to MVP, we had a brief discussion about it right at the end of the season. But Acuna not only won MVP, he won it unanimously. Um, As he should have. Yeah, I agree. Should have. I mean, I, I'm surprised that it was unanimous, but I would have voted for him. So I, it, I guess every authority had the same idea. Love the history. It's the history attached to but, it. Yeah. So Ronald Acuna won, Mookie Betts two, Freddie Freeman three, Matt Olson four, Corbin Carroll five. That's exactly how I would have had it. Yeah. No question. Then it's Juan Soto, Austin Riley, Luisa Rise, Francisco Lindor, and then Cody Bellinger. Didn't realize Lindor had that good of a season. And there's a bunch of other names. I always like looking at like the, the notable names that got MVP votes randomly. <laughs> so Devin Williams finished 19th. Um, Nick Castellanos finished 23rd. He had a good year. Hassan Kim finished 14th. Good for him. He had a good year, too. I like him. Only player on the Padres that was like pretty consistent hitting-wise. And he played great defense. And he was third out of Padres behind Soto and Snell. Yeah. But yeah, so that's the NL, and then AL, we got Shohei Otani, uh, obviously. You know, the greatest thing since sliced bread. News fast, boring. No one's better. No one's better. I mean, he for any other person, it would matter that he didn't play the last month of the season. Yeah. But apparently it doesn't. BT finished unanimous as well. And it, it's just funny, because like, if you told me these were the names that finished behind him in April, it, it, it just shows kind of how weak... The AL just feels to me right now. Oh, yeah. Corey Seager, Marcus Simeon, Julio Rodriguez, Kyle Tucker, Yandy Diaz, Bobby Witt Jr., Gunnar Henderson, Adley Rushman, Jose Ramirez, Garrett Cole, Luis Robert Jr., Jordan Alvarez. And then a mix of, like, the Adoles Garcias, Aaron Judge, J.P. Crawfords, Cal Rallies, and Josh Naylor's, and others filling in. It, it just can I, feels can like— I say, Can I say— they were talking about this. I saw yesterday on uh, on Twitter. Or oh yeah. Next, um, probably the stupidest thing I've ever I've ever read in my life. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if either you guys saw it. Zach's oh, yeah, laughing. Yeah. I think he did. Uh, I'm not sure if Max saw this one or not. Um, one of the guys that has a vote on this matter 
Brian McTaggart. Let me let me say that one again. Brian <laughs> McTaggart. I saw this. Okay. I'm was asked idiot. by a fan how in the world J.P. Crawford was more valuable of a player than Garrett Cole, and his answer, and I quote, he played in 110 more games. <laughs> end quote. This man has a vote. <laughs> Unbelievable! I. It's a joke. How is this not national headlines? I don't. I don't know how these people get votes, man. Joke. I'll never understand it, man. Unbelievable. That has to be the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Baseballs have to change. They gotta change how they how they give those out. But don't worry, we're gonna have plenty of bad ballots to talk about in Hall of Fame season. Oh, I can't wait. Oh, it's not even. It's my favorite time of year. We should do like a bad ballot, like every episode, just at the end or Worst something. Ballot of the last two weeks. Yeah, that'd be good. I'm very <laughs> down for that. That'd be fun. That'd and be a cute honestly, segment. We have to. I'll bring up nominees and then we'll vote on it. That'd be really fun. Every at the end of every episode, we should definitely do that. I don't know. I'm just. I'm just sitting here thinking. Uh, John Carl stands uh, more valuable than Garrett Cole. He played right. In no, you're 100 right, Sherm. Even though yeah. he can't run and he can't yeah. play defense, I, I, can't, I can't help just think about that. He hits 170, but you know he, he plays more. Yeah. Unbelievable. It's not like pitching is a skill that you can't do every day or anything. You know, you only blow your arm out. Yeah. Man. I don't know. The guy was back in uh, 1917 with Doug Dedefer. What a good point. <laughs> And that wraps up the latest installment of Championship or Bust with Mac, Josh, and DJ Cracker. Oh, my God. Thank you for listening. And we will see you next time with a 1918-slash-Hall of Fame episode. Ballot comes out on Monday, which will be about two weeks ago once we actually put it out. <laughs> and we'll get to talk all about it then. But congratulations to Shoeless Joe Jackson and I guess Pete Rose as well on being the first two members of the Championship or Bust Hall of Fame. And we will see if we have any more new members for the class of 2024. Thanks a lot, everybody. See you soon. Peace.